So, Paul, how do you say your last name? Because I've been wanting to ask you. <laughs> um, the I guess pronunciation with accent and all is Ambris. Ambris. Yes. Okay. Yep. For some reason, I have you stored in my phone as Ambrose. Ambrose. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not that's not new at all. You're not the first. You probably won't be the last either. Really? I got a lot. I got a lot of that through school. So even high school. So. Okay. Because yep. I think I think it wasn't until like I saw your email come through mm-hmm. and I was like, oh. Oops. <laughs> yeah. But. Okay, so Ambris, what is that? Is that um, Hispanic or it is Hispanic. My dad is uh Mexican. Well, technically he, he was born in the US, so he's American but was raised in Mexico. Okay. Um so his mother, my grandmother and my grandfather moved to Texas to farm some land, um, just so that he could be born in the US. And then about six months after he was born, they moved back to Mexico. Really? The city they're from. Yep. Okay. Yep. And and so obviously he went back with them. Mm-hmm. So he was born an American citizen, mm-hmm. but grew up in Mexico. Correct. Yeah. When did when did he end up coming back over to the U.S.? Or? Oh, when he was eighteen. Okay. Yeah. Nice. I, I it was. I guess that's probably where I get my adventurous side from. He wanted to go out and do things and just see different things and just yeah. not live in the same town that he grew up in. Yeah. So at eighteen, he said that he asked his mother for his birth certificate and walked right across the border. They kind of tamed him for a little bit, and then they had, I guess, some specialists. He, according to him, they had a specialist come in. Look at the birth certificate, kind of ask him a few questions, and then let really? him go on his way. Yep. Wow. And that's it. Yeah. Okay. So he just came over on his own. On his own. What was his plan? Was he going to farm? Um, he really didn't have a plan. He just wanted to come out, find some kind of job one way or another. Um, he, I think he had a few friends in Riverside, California, and that's why he chose to go to Riverside, California. Okay. And he started working in a packing factory, orange packing factory. Okay. And then realized like yeah, he could drive truck and not have to do as much within the factory. So he taught himself how to drive truck and then bought his own truck and then basically opened up his own business. And, uh, tr- did he do like long haul trucking? No, he did, uh, just orange pack, just oranges. Okay. And then, uh, he finally transitioned over to hauling hay. Okay. And so during the summer when I was in high school, um, I grew up in a pretty rough neighborhood. So if I wasn't going to summer school, I was with my dad. Yeah. And I was up late nights with him, you know, I mean, helping him haul the hay, like move it, position it, then dropping it off. So this it was is definitely Riverside? Um, some of it was Riverside. Some of it, we would load hay from Blythe and then bring it to Riverside. Okay. So we were traveling within the state a few hours, but nothing too far. Yeah. But yeah, taught That's himself, cool. yeah, he taught himself how to drive truck and then, uh, I guess met my mom at a, at a dance hall. So, and then the rest was history. The funny thing is, is my dad understood English, but couldn't speak English very well. My mom is, her family's from, you know, from California, from when California was part of Mexico. Okay. But she understood Spanish, but really couldn't speak it so well. So I would have loved to have been there to see them, you know, yeah. try how, to communicate. How did they hit it off? I don't, I don't know. They were just at a dance hall that my, my, uh, my aunt struck my mom to, yeah. um, because my mom wasn't really someone who went out a lot. And, uh, they got along well. I mean, they dated for several years and then got married. So okay, yeah, nice. it worked are, out well. <laughs> are they still together? They are. Dude, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, when I'm 43, so they waited five years to have kids. So they have 48th year of marriage. Wow. Yeah, this past year, that's cool. December. That's cool. Yep. It takes a special breed to be able to stay married to the same person for 48 <laughs> years. Like, I agree. Yeah. I mean, it's a great thing. Uh huh. But uh, <clears throat> I at least. I feel like seeing a marriage last that long in today's day and age is mm-hmm. like, you don't see that very often. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's pretty, I wouldn't say it's rare because I, 
and being living in Oklahoma, I see it a lot more, you know? Yeah. Um, from California, well, you do see it, but not that's as what I was much. thinking in, in California. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I would see people I, like my parents got separated when I was, uh, I think I was only like two and they mm-hmm. separated and then ended up divorcing. But then I'm was probably like in fourth or fifth grade mm-hmm. and they got back together okay. and got remarried. But then That's they awesome. separated again, <laughs> like a couple of years later. <laughs> okay. And so I, I grew up in one of those households where I, I was just kind of used to not always having my dad around. Gotcha. And you know, I just grew up with my mom and my sister. Yeah. And uh, I mean, not not that my dad wasn't around, but, mm-hmm. you know, he lived a couple hours away. So it wasn't like he was stopping by every day to say hi yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that, that's cool that you know so much about your grandfather and his immigration into the States and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So on my dad's side, <clears throat> which is, uh, Greek, English, and Scottish, mm-hmm. so it's very eclectic. Yeah. Um, but there aren't super great records. Um, like my wife's done some genealogy stuff mm-hmm. like ancestry.com and she's gone back a few generations. But, uh, once you go back so far on the Kyriokis side, mm-hmm. you kind of start to lose records and, one of the issues is that the spelling is so divergent when you yeah. go back, they, cause mine's K I R I O K O S. Okay. And in, in, uh, Greek, they, a lot of times they'll scrap the O for an A mm. and do the Ocus instead of the Ocus. Was that when, that was probably when a lot of your ancestors were coming up through New York, right? Through Ellis Island. Yeah. Through Ellis yeah. Island. And they changed a lot of names. Yeah. For, so, so my dad country. actually told me a story about, um, how our name used to be, Kyriokisopolis. Okay. And, or Kyriakisopolis. Okay. Um, and I that sounds I was, a lot more Greek. I was like, dude, I'm so <laughs> glad that's not a thing anymore. <laughs> but yeah, apparently that was a thing when mm-hmm. people would come through Ellis Island, if they couldn't hear like the person recording the records, if mm-hmm. they couldn't hear correctly or whatever, and they were always so rushed, they would just yeah. misspell it or cut the last half off yeah. or something. Oh yeah. That's wild. It is. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's crazy. I love History. I love American history more than anything else, but it's yeah. I love going back and learning about history. One, so that I try not to repeat those same mistakes that people have in the past. Yeah. But it, I think it's always really it's exciting and great to know, you know, where you come from or the history of your country, the history of where you're at today, whether it's your family, country, job history. You know. Yeah. You absolutely. Want, you want to know the origins and how that everything came to be where it's at now. So. Well, and do you read a lot of biographies? I I hear a lot of biographies through okay, podcasts. I'm the same way. I'm the same way. <laughs> yeah. I I, uh, I went through this period a couple of years ago where I was like obsessed with them, mm-hmm. and so I would I, I did the same thing. I would do like Audible or YouTube mm-hmm. even, yeah. And I'd listen to like Henry Ford's uh, biography, uh, yep. uh, which I thought was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, who's another one? Uh, Andrew Carnegie. Carnegie. Was, yeah, Carne- that was. There's another um, pronunciation, Carnegie. Car- Carnegie. Carnegie. Car- uh, Andrew Carnegie. 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 It's, <laughs> Something it's, like that. It's a weird pronunciation because uh, I've People heard... say it with the university, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Car- so, Carnegie. Uh, Car- Carnegie. Carnegie. It's, anyhow, yeah. yeah. It's just something I but, learned, like little nit bits here and there, so. Yeah. It was pretty funny. Well, and I like, uh, even when you go back to like the founding fathers Mm -hmm. and read their biographies, Oh yeah, some of the lessons that you can take away from that, Mm -hmm. it's like free life advice from people that like really lived, you know, like took real risks Mm -hmm. and, uh, made things happen. Oh, for sure. And I I get a lot of value from that. Oh, I, so do I. I mean, I look at where people started at and where, where they're at now, you know, Mm -hmm. um, 
for example, like, I mean, he's not a very well-known president, but our second president, John Adams, you know, he was basically a farmer and farmed his own land and, you know, found his way through law school to, you know, became a lawyer, then eventually became the vice president and president. It's just like, it all started from humble beginnings. And it was the will to want to do something better, not for himself, but he saw for his family and his country. Yeah. And that was his focus is try to do better and leave something better for his country. That's so, cool. Yeah. And I, I, that's one of the things I, I love about presidents that we had back then. Like when mm-hmm. our first, when our country was first being founded and we were still trying to like piece together the political system and everything, our um, government was made up of leaders that really like their, their political leadership was secondary to the primary business that they were running. Like a lot of these guys sure. were farmers and lawyers mm-hmm. and well-known business people or, you know, later in the 20th century, you've got all these financiers that were yeah. in and out of Congress and, you know, vice presidency and everything. <clears throat> but I think that's awesome because these people didn't rely on their political influence or their right. political career for yeah. their livelihood. They had other things in you know? their life. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, I, and I feel like that's kind of almost like the military nowadays where, they felt that their, you know, serving their country was an obligation because they wanted to do something better for the country. Exactly. It wasn't something that they that they had a career path towards. I mean, a lot of them it led towards a, a political career, but that wasn't their first intentions. Yeah. So it was like uh, George Washington mm-hmm. with his. Uh, I think, if I remember correctly, he sort of pursued his uh, military career was because he grew up and you know wasn't incredibly intelligent didn't mm-hmm. have means um didn't have like a wide network of affluent you know friends and family or yeah. anything and so his um ability to like kind of climb the ladder mm-hmm. was through through the military correct yeah yeah That's and true. his man i actually i loved it in, in his <laughs> uh i can't remember if it was his biography or if it was just the uh or not his yeah, I guess it would have been his biography, mm-hmm. but they, they talk a lot about his early military career, oh. which did not go so well. No, it wasn't well at all. <laughs> it wasn't not, good not at one all. bit. Yeah. But I think it, it, he learned a lot from that, you know, mistakes that uh, he shouldn't make in the future, which led him to be the, one of the great generals. You know, he lost a lot of battles, but he lost, yeah. but he won a lot of key battles as well. Yeah. Which was extremely important at certain points in, in history. Yeah. But for him, I think, his biggest achievement or the biggest thing that I, well, that I take from is that he stepped down as president and he didn't need to, he needed to show the country that, Hey, we have to have term limits. We have to set a standard, uphold those standards and then let the next person come in and do that. He didn't want the same thing that was going on in Britain at the time as a dictator. You know, he didn't want to be a dictator. He didn't want to seem like he was a dictator. Did he actually create the term limit? No, he did not. That okay. He okay. just stepped down after okay. two years. I think it wasn't after until was it Theodore Roosevelt when he had like three. Um, he was nominated three times and was in office three times. I think on his fourth one. Oh, but that was that was because he he had two consecutive terms, correct? Right, and then lost, or or maybe he just didn't serve or he something. He didn't serve like the full third or something. Yeah, like that. but then was yeah. reelected for mm-hmm. a full third. Yeah. Term. So it was yeah it was uh that I took that what Washington did as stepping down as president. So yeah. just, Hey, you know, I, I did what I needed to do. Now it's time for someone else to do it. So do you think that like young men today should be required to serve in like any length of time? My personal opinion? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My, I, my dad would agree with you. Yeah. And it, it's just, you know, I, I growing up in the neighborhood that I grew up, I grew up in a pretty rough neighborhood 
in uh, Riverside, California, and there was certain blocks I couldn't walk down, and it was just because of the color of my skin, you know? Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was... So even being, like, a Hispanic minority in Riverside, California, you still wouldn't walk down those streets? Correct. Well, it was because there was huge uh, confrontations between, you know, um, the black gangs and the Hispanic gangs, the Mexican gangs in our neighborhood, and, you know, if you walk down certain blocks, you just couldn't do that without running for your life or getting beat up so dude that's crazy yeah so i like to say you know certain paths i used to take um alleyways um just to get to school and back in high school that is and um did you get in a lot of fights Nah. well when i was younger we did yeah it was just the neighborhood kids fighting with other neighborhood kids but that's messing around just messing around like you know boys usually do yeah um man i kind of forgot my point where I was going towards this. We were talking about the president and ah. uh we well we I we were talking about uh Riverside, California, yeah. streets you wouldn't walk down. Yeah. I think it was before that. I was trying to make a connection <laughs> to that. I was trying to lead you back to there. Lost my train of thought. Sorry about that. It, it's hard to bob and weave and then yeah. come back to where you started. Yeah. But you know Oh, you were talking about serving oh, in the military. Yeah. Mil- yes. Mandatory military. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, thank you. Thank you. Military. You just got to take a second. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of funny. In high school, my senior year, I, act- I actually ditched the uh, recruiter twice. They called me and they're like, hey, we'll set up a point for this day. I was like, yeah, 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 I'll be there. And never so showed. never showed up. <laughs> so yeah, I think it was a break, a spring break or something. I hear a knock at the door. I'm at the house. I'm taking care of my three younger sisters because I'm in high school, senior. My mom's at work, and I open the door up. I don't even look at the window, and there's the recruiter right there. And I'm like, hey, how's it going? Wait, so you ditched him, and I ditched then him he twice. came to your house? Then he came to my house. Yeah. <laughs> he said, this isn't how Un- that works, yeah, buddy. unannounced. And I was like, hey, how's it going? And he was like, hey, man, you know, you didn't show up twice for our meeting. I, I figured you just forgot, and so now I'm here. And I was just like, okay, you want to come in, you know? Oh, my God. I, I know you're not allowed you're not supposed to have strangers in your house, but I felt like I was old enough. He was yeah. in, in uniform. I was like, yeah, come on in. And they just started talking to me about the Navy. And uh, I was like, yeah, I don't know. And he goes, well, what do you really want to do? What is it? They're trying to get to the meat and potatoes. What is it that I want to do? I was like, well, you know, I, I live here and I want to get out of here. I kind of want to see the world for a little bit. So all these, uh, he opens up a binder that he had created himself. It was kind of his own yearbook through the military. And uh, I saw him just, you know, having a good time in all these different foreign ports. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. You know, I, yeah. I, I want to see these places. I want to interact with people. I just want to broaden my horizons in these four block area, this four block area that where I live at. Yeah. And so that's why I joined. And I was very, I, I wasn't book smart, you know, or I don't think I was book smart at the time. Um, I didn't want to go to college. And the military was a great avenue for me to go and find myself. And that's why I think it's, it's there are young men should join the military in my opinion, because if you don't know where you're going and you don't have any kind of understanding of what you want out of life, they being in the military quickly, you quickly understand where you want to be and where you want to go. That's a really, I I like that perspective. Yeah. I I never quite had that. I I fully agree with you. Like Mm -hmm. you've got to put yourself out there and try a bunch of different things to figure out what you actually it's like throwing things at a wall just to see what sticks, but you, you mm-hmm. kind of have to do that. Otherwise, and one of the issues that I see with uh, the like traditional go to college, get your degree, yeah. get a job thing, is that when you're getting out of high school and going into college, mm-hmm. or, or if you're applying for college, you usually don't know what the hell you want to do. 
And if you, if you do, it's quite possible that you're completely wrong or, you know, you think that's what you want to do. For sure. Uh, but I kind of had to find my way, uh, Mm -hmm. but I went about it a different way. I didn't go into the military. Mm -hmm. Instead, I, uh, you know, started, I was working for Best Buy at the time and I, I got into like retail management. Okay. And, uh, I like fell in love with sales and training and, um, like coaching and developing people Mm -hmm. into better salespeople and teaching them how to talk to people. For sure. And, uh, then, you know, thought, yeah, I kind of got exhausted doing that and got burnt out on the retail thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I was dealing with a lot of other like depression and things from losing my mom and my sister. And Mm. so what that created was this environment where I was like, applying for jobs and I would, I would get it and I'd work there Mm -hmm. for like, you know, three months or six months. And I'd be like, I don't like this. (laughs) And I would, I would go try something else. But, um, you know, I did that a few times and had a couple like fairly long jobs. I say long, like a few years. Mm -hmm. Um, but each one I I was sort of able to see my focus being narrowed down more to one area. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, most recently was when I transitioned into real estate. Uh, and that was where I was like, you know, I, I need to get back to sales and people because that's where I feel comfortable. That's what I feel like I'm good at. That's where you thrive. And at. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't know much about housing, but I had it in my head that I wanted to get into real estate investment mm-hmm. and, um, you know, have rental properties and flip properties, do all the HGTV oh, yeah. stuff, Yeah, yeah. you know? And so I was Chip like, and well, Joanne is like yeah. created a whole new generation of flippers and yes. <laughs> builders. <laughs> Dude, it is crazy. You know, what's awesome though is there's so many of those people that mm-hmm. are literally just like you and I. Yeah. Like completely normal people. Oh, yeah. That are just looking for deals. Oh, yeah. And and making it happen. I think it's cool as hell. Oh, so do I. I mean, it's it's amazing how where when you're young in high school, they're like, what do you want to be? Where do you want to go to school? They're trying. There's so much pressure on building the rest of your life yeah. within a four-year span, you know? And then you get to college, and I, I don't know how accurate the statistics are but when i was recruiting here out in um oklahoma i was it was something like 60 or 70 percent of people who, who start college the freshman year end up dropping out and then that's a huge number but i know i'm not entirely surprised yeah so it's you know we're, we're a lot of people are forced a lot of americans are forced to go to college and i remember when i was in high school there's a lot of like trades you know auto mm-hmm. mechanic woodworking metal work and I feel like we need to bring a lot of those trades back because not everyone's yeah. cut out for college. Not only that, but I think it's a huge problem <clears throat> that uh, this like idea that you go to school, graduate, mm-hmm. get a job at a big mm-hmm. company and work your way up the ladder or, mm-hmm. or whatever. I think that's a thing of the past. Yeah. And when you talk about someone going to like a trade school and mm-hmm. developing a skill, I think that's critical to being able to like do what you're doing oh, or what I'm doing. Start yeah. your own business go out on your own and, sure. and really like, you know, hone those skills and build mm-hmm. something for yourself. Oh yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of trades that are becoming a lost icon art forms, you know, mm. and it's an art form it to, is. to be able to speak to people to, you know, to sell them their dream home or a starter home yeah. or like myself being a barber and being able to give them a good haircut. So they're confident enough to go out, you know, yeah. even a mechanic, like electricians, you know, home builders, it's, there's a lot of arts that are being lost. And it's like you said, it's, trying to go into big companies, big corporations, or even, and, and there is a lot of tech, we, you know, times do have to move forward, but a lot of these blue collar, you know, art jobs are being left behind and no one to fill them. So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. Do you ever get sucked into those videos on TikTok of like woodworking <laughs> and, you know, mine, like that? 
I do. I like um, artsy stuff on TikTok. Me too. But I think my um, shameless uh, addiction is the like the pimple popper. The, uh, oh my doctor god! Popper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that and uh, have you ever seen the? I think his his uh, channel is called like OC Chiropractor or something. Oh yes, that, dude! Something about hearing those cracks. It's so soothing, isn't it? It is. You just you want to crack your back. I know. You start like <laughs> kind of fidgeting a little, you know, like, adjusting I can, yourself. I can do this myself <laughs> just to get that satisfaction out of it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So when you were in the military, what what was your career field? What did you specialize in? I was a firefighter, or dam- they call it dam- damage controlman. So it's basically okay. a firefighter. And then I also volunteered as a social rescue swimmer. Okay. So Wait, so you were a firefighter on a ship? On Navy ships, yes. Okay. Yes, sir. Was this on like a... Uh... Uh, I was on destroyers my whole career. That sounds yeah. so badass. It's It does. It sounds a lot more badass than what it really is. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I only put out one trash campfire my whole 20 years i was in so yeah <laughs> you were in the service for 20 years and you yeah. put out one fire yeah that's it and i mean, was in a trash camp i know <laughs> i know and it was it was something that someone in my shop created they were welding and welded too close to the trash can and then oh, dude, that's i saw it catch on fire and i would just happen to be there that's it yeah but i mean we have a lot of uh backup systems within the navy um in our engine room so where we have a backup system to a backup system to a backup system so it's all about redundancy yeah it is it really is so if I used to tell people, if you see me running to the fire, that's something that's really gone wrong. Yeah. Or if you see me running from something, then you better keep up because yeah. it's, it's all going to hell. Follow me. Yeah. <laughs> Just follow me as fast as you can. You need to have one of those shirts that on like on the front, it says, if you see me running and then on the back, it says, run, run. <laughs> keep up. Uh, follow me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For sure. That's yeah. Cool. And I was, I was also a search and rescue swimmer on board Navy ships. Okay. Which was pretty cool. That was so fun. that would actually, I'm not going to lie. It kind of terrifies me. Really? Like the idea of <laughs> jumping in the ocean, because you're like in the middle of the ocean, oh, yeah. right? Like There's you're in the middle around. of nowhere. Yeah, you can't see anything. Yeah. Yeah. Is that not terrifying? No, not, it wasn't at all. Like I never thought about it. I used to jump in. Um, so we used to have drills on board Navy ship where they would throw a, a dummy over the water, okay. a mannequin, and his name was Oscar, and we would have to swim out and get him. And it was either through a small little um, boat that they would launch from the, the destroyer or they would let me l- down on like this sling off the ship, which was I think three stories high, into the water. I have to swim out, save them, swim back to the ship, and they lift me back up. Oh my god! But I never thought about it once. It wasn't until I started dating my wife, and she was like, "You you've never looked under the ocean, like underneath you, to see if there's any sharks or anything." I was like, "Well, no, but now I am." So. Dude, I get the heebie-jeebies <laughs> thinking about really? it. Really? Oh my god! Oh man! And I, like, so I grew up by the beach, mm-hmm. and I was. I was never shy about getting in the water mm-hmm. or like wakeboarding or not wakeboarding, uh, boogie boarding. Yeah. Nothing like that. I was always fine with it. But actually with my wife, mm-hmm. she's got a fear of things under you in the water, oh, right? Really? She doesn't like lakes or <laughs> oceans or the idea that anything could swim up and get you. And, uh, so I would watch now, like mm-hmm. I watch these movies that take place on lakes or where okay. I see people swimming in lakes or in the ocean. It, like, did you watch 47 meters down? No. Dude, that's enough to make you never want to get in the ocean again. <laughs> These girls get trapped. They're, uh, I think they're in a shark cage, like a, in their, you know, where you go down in the cage and mm-hmm. you can see great whites swimming and everything. Yeah. But something happens to the chain that's holding the cage. It breaks. And so they're in the cage and they fall to the bottom. Okay. And so, but then there's like great whites, you know, circling Certainly. the area and everything. And so the, the whole movie, they're basically underwater. And they're trying to figure out how to get to the top and then get saved. Oh wow! Is and that, so that's I'm not going to ruin the whole four movie. Me, for you. Forty meters in, 
to the, uh, to the bottom. Is that what it is? I think 47. 47, yeah, 47 meters. Okay. meters down. Gotcha. Makes it, sense now. Yeah. It just, you're going to So you never it. watch Shark Week or any of that stuff? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually, uh, yeah, I, I love Shark Week. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. And it just reinforces my wanting to never, never get in the, the ocean. ocean. <laughs> oh, man. I th- maybe it was the confidence that there was a, a, a destroyer ship with people arm that could save me yeah. if you need be so i saw a video once where they they were in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. and um before these guys jumped in mm-hmm. there were a couple guys up top with guns yeah. and they blasted into the water and then these divers like dove off in oh. is that something you do no it, we didn't do any of that but we definitely had um a few riflemen on the ship yeah. just in case there was a shark yeah that they could shoot or possibly shoot. i don't know what they would, they would do guard yeah i think they were just there to build my confidence really that's <laughs> it i mean if a shark gets a hold of you i mean i mean you're gone yeah you're gone yeah yeah especially on a small ship like that don't worry paul we got we you got the 50 cal yeah <laughs> i know right <laughs> probably not gonna get the shark until no, after it gets you exactly right yeah maybe the 50 cal might get me before it gets the shark. <laughs> hopefully depending on who's firing it yeah so. <laughs> man i was in uh so I, I think I had told you, um, not on air, but I used to work in feature film production. Mm-hmm. And so the very first show that I got as a unit production manager was in Cape Town, South Africa, okay. which is notorious for their great white they population. Are, yeah. And, uh, Almost as it, notorious as uh, uh, Australia. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that makes sense because uh, the southern tip of uh, uh, South Africa is mm-hmm. right there at what is it called? I forget what it's called, but the closest landmass is Australia. Okay. Yeah. So I think it's, they just share the same water. Probably. They probably go back and forth feeding, but I bet <laughs> dude, I heard this story one time, uh, and because we were staying close by the beach, we were shooting a mm-hmm. post-apocalyptic, um, like a water world type movie mm-hmm. with sharks. Okay. And so we had, uh, we had all these floating sets and, and everything. We shot on the water a lot. So that must've been pretty cool. It was pretty badass. Yeah. I, that was one <laughs> of the funnest shows I've ever done. That's awesome. But there's this guy who was telling me a story once of this like 80 some year old woman who every day, her entire life, she would get up, uh, walk to the beach. Mm-hmm. She would go swim out to this rock that was you know, several hundred yards out, she would swim to the rock and swim back. And that was her morning exercise. And, uh, I, I was like, Oh, that's cool. And, and he is telling me that, yeah, she goes out one day, she swims out to the rock Mm -hmm. and she's swimming back and she's doing the backpedal. And apparently some people on the beach had seen that there was a shark in the water and they were yelling and hollering from the shore, Mm -hmm. like, you know, shark in the water or whatever they say. And the way he told the story was she was doing the backstroke uh-huh. and the shark literally came up and ate her head first, like just came up and oh started <laughs> like she swam into the mouth. Oh, wow. And I was like, and before, before that day I uh-huh. had been like out, you know, playing around on the beach yeah. in the water. Yeah. I heard that story and I never got never it again. <laughs> never. <laughs> I, w- I would be a little scared at that point. I'd be a lot more oh, yeah. cautious, but. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's the ocean, it's the shark's playground, so. That's true. It's going to do what it wants to do. Yeah. I guess, I, I guess I try not to worry about it. It's what it is. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, that's it a, makes that's sense. a terrifying story though. Yeah. I would definitely be a lot of co- real cautious when I went out there. Yeah. That's kind of a superpower. You said you just, you just try not to think about it. Yeah. Because when, when you do like just focus in mm-hmm. on things like that, or like if you focus in on the negatives in life, yeah, it'll control you. Oh, for sure. You know? And it, I think it, uh, like, Actually, stories like that mm-hmm. affect me so much that I'm like, I'm not going to go in. <laughs> but if you just don't think about it, 
you know, you get to experience, you know, the water and oh, the yeah. ocean and the beauty that it is because it really is just a beautiful thing. For sure. It is. I mean, I try, I say I try not to let things stop me, but I'm, I'm very, I have to do a lot of mental preparation sometimes on, on different things. You know, I, I also do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and I don't do any tournaments now, but when I used to participate in tournaments, um, I would want to train at least three months out. You know, really? It might have been a local little tournament, but I'm like, okay, I know when it is. This is how much training I want to get in. That way, I didn't have any excuse for myself. Like, okay, I could have done better. I could have done this. I could have done that. But then the mental preparation for me was, you know, always thinking about, okay, what am I going to do when I get there? I'm going to warm up. What kind of warm ups am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Okay, this is how I'm going to warm up. This is how I'm going to walk out to the mat. Literally walk like out. you would imagine. I would imagine it? it in my head. Yeah. Then I'm walking to the mat. Then I'm slapping hands. Kind of we do kind of a slap and bump type of deal before you start. Okay. As of respect to your opponent and them to you as well. Sure. Then you start the you start the roll the submission wrestling. It is the way I describe it for jujitsu. Yeah. But um everything was in detail mental preparation just so that when I was finally there my body my mind knew okay you've done this before you're calm you're relaxed. Just get it done. Yeah. So, and I do that a lot with a lot of different things. Um, cutting hair. Yeah. You know, I look at who I have on the schedule. Okay, this is going to be good, or we'll see what happens. And so, will you look at your schedule ahead mm-hmm. of time, and you know, like, okay, here's my nine o'clock. And yep. You think about, okay, yeah. this that's what this is going to be. I'm gonna, and you kind of picture everything oh, yeah. you're going to be doing for sure. Yeah. Or I'll count how many appointments I have for the day, and I'm like, okay, this is going to be a short day. It might be a long day, but then a short day end up usually being long days with people walking in. So yeah, it's just a mental preparation for me. And, and I do that a lot with anything. So yeah. Or with everything I should say. I think it's super important. Mm-hmm. I think the, the, the idea of practicing visualization. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I've even remember <clears throat> hearing that it's just as effective as real world practice. Oh yeah. Like in the physical world, for sure. rehearsing all that stuff in your brain mm-hmm. um, has the same effect that doing it in the real world does, which I think is super powerful. Oh yeah. I, I completely agree. I think the more you do things, it becomes natural. It's almost like breathing or walking, right? You don't yeah. tell yourself inhale, exhale. Yeah. You automatically well, well do like it. with Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, do mm-hmm. you think about any of those moves or are they so ingrained now and you can visualize it that you just do it? Uh, I mean, I know what I want to do. And I think I just drill them to, I wouldn't say to a T, but I drill them so much that my proficiency level would hopefully be better than the other person. Yeah. And then my training partners would probably give me enough looks to know that, okay, if he moves this way, I'll move that way. And then eventually get to my goal, which was the move I wanted to do to begin with, Okay. which is to submit them or, you know, put their joints in a, in a compromising situation where they would tap. So. Yeah. Dude, I've always been curious about uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and I've mm-hmm. never tried it. I've always wanted to. Mm-hmm. And that's mostly from like listening to people like you talk about it and, yeah. you know, li- listen to Joe Rogan and oh, yeah. talk about just from purely from a self-defense standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm a big guy. And so, and I, I try not to get into fights. I don't like yeah. confrontation at all, but, um, I've always, like I did a little bit of kickboxing years mm-hmm. ago, uh, like for a few, few months. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Do you think that was that was enough for you? Like, no. If you were to get into a fight, you know, if you were backed into a corner, yeah. you had no way out. Do you feel like you could adequately defend yourself? So here's the thing. I think, one, I know I would do everything that I could mm-hmm. to avoid getting put in a corner. Mm-hmm. But if I was, I think I'd have to rely on my size. 
Yeah. And, and just like sheer strength. Cause I don't have the moves to be able to submit someone. Yeah. yeah. So I would be left to using physical strength to dominate my opponent, yeah. which I know doesn't always work because yeah. I mean, I could be up against some dude that's five, six. Mm hmm. And if they know how to grapple, yeah, I mean, yeah. they can they can take me down. Oh yeah, but I, I and then I think also, you know, like you said, you, you're relying on your your strength, right? Yeah. And if you don't know how to use your strength accordingly, you could exhaust yourself within seconds. That's true. And then you know you're left helpless. You know, yeah, to you're not gassed. being able. To, yeah, you're gassed. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to do it because, like you said, you haven't had that self defense. Yeah. And well, and and the added um, disadvantage of not being conditioned properly, mm -hmm. you know. So Very to true. your point, I mean, if you do get into it and mm -hmm. you're rolling around and you're gassed in mm -hmm. 15 seconds, oh yeah, I mean it's that over. puts you, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's done. And I mean, I'm the same way. I, I've learned a lot of discipline with, you know, when we're younger, we kind of get into fights. You know, early 20s, you're trying to prove your manhood by pounding on your chest as many oh, times yeah. as possible. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's a typical alpha male. Um, but it's definitely showed me a lot of self-control as well. And I feel like if I was put into a corner, I could at least defend myself so that that yeah. person doesn't do any more harm to myself or yeah. anyone around me. What's the, uh, what's the martial art where the whole principle is just self self-defense or like disabling, like you, you uh, don't make any offensive strikes really. Mm -hmm. It's, it's purely just, you I know, I, I feel like. Almost with every martial arts, you could do that, you know? Really? I mean, karate. It's just a matter of the, the person using the Correct. tactics. Correct. I I mean, I've been in situations where I've had um, at a t-ball game of all places. Um, Wait, a father. did you get in a fight at a t -ball? No, no, I didn't get in a fight at a t-ball <laughs> game. But I had a father from the opposite team being very yelling very aggressive towards me okay. and then stepping towards me in, in an aggressive manner. And in the split of a second, I was already thinking, okay, if he comes at me, I'm going to do this to take him down. And mm -hmm. I'm not going to, I'm not going to choke him out. I'm not going to hurt him. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to hold him in this situation until he calms down. Disable the threat. Yeah, exactly. Neutralize yeah. it. Yeah. So it, it's like, again, jujitsu has definitely taught me like, okay, instant quick thinking, because when you're rolling around with someone that has to be quick thinking, okay, they did this. Now I do that. Yeah. And it becomes, like you said, instinctual. Like it's almost like do you, breathing. Do you ever have like multiple scenarios going through your head where you're <laughs> like, okay, this is move number one that's in my mind. Oh yeah. If, if I can't get that, here's move two mm -hmm. or things like that. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's moves. Are you talking about jujitsu or just in general? I'm thinking <laughs> like when you were in that position, like with the T-ball thing, uh -huh. this guy's stepping up on you. And so oh, yeah. your mind naturally, because it's conditioned to do so goes to, Oh, for sure. What would I do? Yeah. yeah. And I'm assuming that's got to happen fairly often. Cause I know like I could be at Walmart mm -hmm. checking out and, uh, I, I, you know, I look around and kind of check my surroundings. And yeah. if I see a guy that's sketching me out, mm -hmm. I'll think to myself, like, because you know, these, these freaking shootings that happen yeah. everywhere and, yeah. I, I'm like, okay, what would I do if this guy like pulled a gun or, or if, you know, whatever happens. Yeah. And so do you think about that same stuff? Oh, all the time. Like, yeah. 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 Especially if I'm in somewhere, I'm always, maybe I got this from a movie, but it, uh, I, I face, I try to face the door wherever we're at with restaurants yeah. and stuff like that. Um, just different. I think that's a smart move just in yeah. general. That's just like, to know. Yeah. Yeah. To, I mean, I'm always is that just With a guy family? thing? It might be. I don't know. It might just be built in. I'm, it might I, be. I feel like I got it from a movie somewhere, like always facing the door, always yeah. like how to be a, a, a man or something like that. Like never let the woman stand 
on the side of the sidewalk where it's a street, you know, like you're always on the, yeah, between you and your family in the street. So exactly. Thing, little things like that. I wonder if that is like environmental conditioning or if it's just something that as a male, just, you just think about, because I, I do the same thing yeah. when, when my wife and I are walking like downtown or something, mm-hmm. I'll almost instinctually, I kind of like step behind her and push her over to the side that's yeah. on the inside, Yeah, you know, if she's on the outside. And it's funny because sometimes to your point, we go to restaurants mm-hmm. and she'll sit down facing the door mm-hmm. and I kind of look at her and immediately she's like, stands up, goes to the goes other side. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I mean, it could be something, maybe how we were brought up. I think it's, it's the way you were brought up who taught you those things, you know? Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily have to be your father. It could just be a male role model within your life that just teaches you those things. And I think instinctually you, you might pick up on them and then remember them and then use them later on down the line. Yeah. So little tools in your toolbox is, is what I say. Yeah. Or so. maybe even like subconsciously mm-hmm. remember it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, so. I remember my dad opening doors for my mom even while we were in high school, you know, different yeah. things like that. So yeah, opening the doors, you know. Do you think chivalry has gone? I think it is. Dude, I see some I kids today mm-hmm. and I'm like, what are like why would you what are you doing? <laughs> why why didn't you move out of the way to let this older woman or yeah, just like or a um, woman in general? Yeah. I think uh this happened the other night. So my my wife uh just finished a show mm-hmm. and she had a rap party down at the Jones Assembly okay. in the city. Mm-hmm. And uh, she thought it would be cool. That, so they used every ounce of their budget, like every single penny. That's awesome. And then some. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so she was trying to think of ways to get like re- recoup some of the cost. Mm-hmm. And so at the wrap party, her and the guy that was decorating or co-decorating, whatever, um, they took in all this artwork mm-hmm. and they like set it up all over the restaurant, the bar and everything. Cool. And, uh, and then they were auctioning it off. Really? Yeah, oh, which which awesome. was cool. Yeah. I mean, it in the idea was cool. Yeah. Uh, but anytime you like get a film crew who's like intoxicated and you ask them to bid on things <laughs> like that, you know, everyone says like, ah, oh, hundred dollars, yeah. hundred and twenty, and then they like just leave before they ever without you paying know, it. Pay it. Yeah. <laughs> That's but, funny. Um, so we were at the end of the night, we were like packing it all up, and mm-hmm. I was helping her carry it out, and uh, we go to walk through this door, mm-hmm. and there's a guy on the other side of the door. And he kind of, he was going to open it up to walk through it. Mm -hmm. So he opens it up and then sees that there's a couple of us trying to come through. Yeah. And he like, instead of, you know, opening the door and holding it out of the way and holding it, he literally just like, let's go the door and just goes another direction. Just around you. Like right in my wife's face, the door just like, I'm like, what the hell, man? Yeah. You know, you could have just held it open. Yeah. No, I, I I see it all the time. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, different examples, even um, restaurants we go to different places, you know, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I have two, two younger sons, seven and five year old. Anytime oh, they're with me and, and I see someone come to the door, I have them open it. I'll open it up because sometimes the doors are heavy Sure. and I'll have them just stand in front of it and they'll say after you, you know, I'm trying to teach them how to be gentlemen, Yeah. you know, and I'll have them say like, have a great day or, you know, little things like that. Yeah. I want to, I want them to learn young. So it becomes ingrained that way it becomes habit. But also that's meaningful to them. Yeah. Dude, I think that's super important for kids, Mm -hmm. especially young men. Oh, yeah. To have someone like that that's Mm -hmm. literally living that role model. For sure. You know, and and showing them here are the, you know, foundations of being a good man in today's society. Yeah. Open a door for someone. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Little things like that. Yeah. I I just think that uh, today's, I, I don't know 
you know, I, I say it's a lack of like males stepping up to the to the plate and actually showing younger, you know, the younger males how to be men. You know, mm-hmm. there's never that transition from manhood or from being a, a boy, teenage boy, to being a man. Like, you turn 18, you're like, okay, I guess I'm a man. You know, but there's not a tradition or um, any kind of transition for males. You know, for for women, you know, I think what is it, sweet sixteen, where you become mm-hmm. a woman now and you're presented yeah. to society, but we don't have that for men. You know, no. it's kind of like, okay, what do I do now? Well, they used to, right? Mm-hmm. When when you go back, however far, and mm-hmm. back to like tribal periods, mm-hmm. there was a rite of passage, yeah. and depending on what part of the world or what tribe, there mm-hmm. would be different things that they would do. And I remember uh, listening to an audio book or maybe it was a podcast, it was something where they're talking about this. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things in this African tribe was they would send the boy when he reached a certain age mm-hmm. out to hunt a lion. Yeah, I've and, heard that, yeah. Yeah, he would have to hunt and like return a part of the lion or something. You know, he'd have yeah. to bring it back. Yeah. And uh, in, in order to become a man in mm-hmm. the tribe, that's what you would have to do. And when you think about it, like, could you imagine sending oh. your 18-year-old kid out <laughs> to hunt a lion? And I guarantee you they weren't even 18. They were probably like 14. Yeah. Can you imagine sending a 14-year-old? No, to hunt a That's on their insane. own. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, that, that did it. he came back a man. Yeah. Or, sure. or he didn't come back. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, and I mean, that, that, that sucks. But um, yeah, I mean, that, that was really, there was a rite of passage. Mm-hmm. And when you did make it through and you came back mm-hmm. like triumphant, man, what did that even do for like self-esteem? Oh yeah, and for, for sure. It, it, I'm sure like secured your place in the community. Mm-hmm. Probably there would be a story that you would come back with that would, you know, define you within your community and your role. Within yeah. Your, I mean, it would. It, oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I think about that a lot with my, my boys, you know, I have two boys, like I said, five and seven. And there's certain things that I want them to learn at certain ages so that they learn how to like hunt on their own, they know how to fish on their own, they know how to start a fire on their own. And I, I know there's Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts to help them do all that, mm-hmm. but I want to do those those things with them. I think it's just something that they'll remember, I'll remember, and it's almost like little transitions. Okay, now I'm a man because I'm this, maybe I'm 25% man now because I know how to fish or yeah. I know how to hunt, you know? Well, and those are the little things that stack up and, and mm-hmm. over time, like when they're your age mm-hmm. and they take their kids to the lake to go fishing yeah. and they're, you know, setting up a lure on a line or mm-hmm. something and they're showing their kid how to do this knot. Oh, yeah. They're going to think, you yeah. know, my dad taught me this. Exactly. You know, it's just those little things. And they'll know how to do it instinctually, you know? Yeah. That's that's the thing. I want, I want them to know how to do things without having to think about it or look at YouTube. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. you can learn a lot from YouTube. Don't get me wrong. I love oh, yeah. YouTube, but I want, I wanted to be second nature for them. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. So when I kind of want to get back to your journey, you were in the Navy mm-hmm. for 20 plus years, 20 years and two months, but no one's really counting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How many days? Yeah. Nah, <laughs> man, I used to know it all by heart. Did you really? Yeah, I did. Like as the end, as the end was coming. Yeah. I mean the end You're of like, my career. <laughs> I, I've, I've been in this thing, uh, 20 years, two months, two yeah, weeks, two and weeks, four days, four days, three hours, 20 seconds, <laughs> 70 seconds, you know? Yeah. But yeah, uh, 20 years, um, I guess after our, well, after I retired from the Navy after 20 years, my last tour of duty was uh, here in Oklahoma as a recruiter. 
Okay. So I really got to know um, Admin and Guthrie a lot while I was here, um, which was great. You know, we came. Wait, did you live in Oklahoma prior to that at all? No, I lived in San Diego. Okay. So your final stop in the Navy is what brought you to Oklahoma? Correct. Yep. Yep. Navy? Yep. In Oklahoma? Oklahoma. Okay. Well, there is a Navy base (laughs) at Tinker. Oh, there is? Yep. Okay. Yeah, an aircraft base. Uh, but that I wasn't attached sense. to that 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 uh, detachment at all. Okay. Um, like I said, I was a recruiter out here. For some reason, no one wants to come out to Oklahoma to recruit. Yeah, <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, everyone wants to get closer to the ocean. Yeah. But uh, it was the reason why I, I moved out here was because of my wife. Okay. And my wife is not from Oklahoma. She's from San Diego. Um, so her dad is originally from Oklahoma and okay. had a lot of family that lived out here in Logan County. And his dad was a, was a pastor um, and moved out to California, and then they finally settled down in San Diego. Okay. And he graduated high school in San Diego. He got he made a career, built a family, a home, everything out in San Diego, and was a postman. And as he was getting closer to retirement, he wanted a, his retirement to stretch a little bit more. So he moved out here, yeah. um, finally settled down in, in Oklahoma, well, Logan County. And he lives north of town. But um, he moved out here in 2008, finally retired from the post office, is now a pastor at our Lutheran, our Savior Lutheran Church off of uh, Highway 33. So, okay. yeah, that's where I was just coming from. <laughs> okay, nice. So, yeah, church. That's right Sunday. around the corner, actually. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's right down. No, you're talking about the, the Zion Lutheran Church. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So this is a different uh, Lutheran Church off of 33. Gotcha. Okay. So that's where we go. And so when I married, my wife and I finally married, met, married. 2013, uh, yeah, 2013, pretty sure, September 14th. Rod, make sure you edit that. Yeah. He needs to be certain. We might have to edit that portion. (laughs) Maybe we do voiceover with the proper date later. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But we met 2013, and then 2014 moved out here. It was like almost instantly. And she she told me, you know, I want to raise a family, and when we raise a family, I want to be closer to my mom and dad. Mm -hmm. And because I was in the military and always moving, I thought that was, it was only fair for her to to ask that for that request. And I was also told long ago by several married men, happy wife, happy life. Yeah, so yeah. we moved out here and you know, we don't regret any moment. Like I can't imagine raising our boys or living anywhere else, especially yeah. with, I mean, California is kind of crazy right now, but Oklahoma has definitely gave us the freedom and opportunity to open up my own business as well, or, yeah. you know, co-owner of a business. Yeah. So, and you guys have been open for how long? Uh, six months now. And you're yeah. doing, you're doing well for being open for six months. Yeah, we're doing extremely well. I feel like the community's really just accepted you guys. Oh and man, the, the community has been amazing. Yeah, yeah. They, they've definitely embraced us. And so we just wanted to open up a barbershop in, in, I mean, the first capital of Guthrie, right? Yeah. And something that Guthrie deserves because they deserve a, an awesome place. Awesome. You know, not just a barbershop, but restaurants, so on and so forth. You know, realtors like yourself, you know? Yeah. People who are involved with the community who really care about the community is what they need. Yeah. So that's what we wanted to give. I think that's a little bit of every community needs mm-hmm. those people that aren't so much just like, you know, oh, I'm, I'm here to serve, you know, when you need. But mm-hmm. those people that like go the extra mile, put in the extra work. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, when you go by your shop, I mean, you can tell just from looking in the front windows, like, <laughs> I mean, it's got a vibe. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it attracts, um, it attracts your tribe, really. Not not just the community, mm-hmm. but, I mean, I'm sure you've got tons of regulars. Yeah, we do. We do have lots of regulars. I mean, everybody loves the barbershop, and it's – how can I describe it? Because it, 
I feel like you can't put our shop in one category. Like, no, it's vintage. It's this, it's that, you know, because it is a little bit of everything and we want to incorporate all that. I think one of the biggest things that you guys did was saying, this is a barber shop mm -hmm. and on the inside you've got it. I mean, you've got exposed brick, mm -hmm. you've got the sort of like, what, what did you call it a second ago? You said, uh, what, what was the style? Oh, vintage. Vintage, or, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got the truck in there. You've got the art, the cool couch. And by the way, those chairs, I I want those chairs. Oh, the, <laughs> the big leather ones? Yeah. 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 I want to get these reupholstered <laughs> for leather. in leather. Yeah. These would be great. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, but I feel like you guys made this, like, not just a barbershop. You're not just offering the service, but it's like a, it's a thing, you yeah. know? Like, it's cool to go. We want, we want it to be a... We wanted it to be an experience as well. Yeah. You know? um, That's a good way to put it. It's yeah, an experience. It is. And every time you go in there, we want you to have an, a different experience, you know? And it's, I remember going to the barbershop with my dad and he used to take me and it was just an experience. Like I was like, oh, I'm going to the big guy's barbershop. Like I'm not going to, uh, yeah. you know, the chop shop, whatever it was, you know, supercuts, supercuts or whatever at that yeah. time. I'm actually going to a man's barbershop, so yeah. I need to act right, and I need to do this, I need to do that. Yeah. And so I just remember that. I remember building those memories with my dad. And yeah. it's kind of the same thing. We want, you know, young men, young boys to build memories with their parents, their dad, you know, whether it's... And it, it brings me... We have a pool table in our barbershop as well. And, like, I love oh, yeah. it. I love it when dads are over there teaching their kids how to play pool. Oh, you know? that's cool. Yeah, I don't mind the kids playing pool, you know, if, if someone responsible is there showing them, you know, but... For sure. Um. Yeah, those. I think that's that's for them. It's building memories, and that's what I want them to have is those memories. Like, dude, that barbershop was so cool, was so badass. Are these things that you were thinking about when you were creating? Oh, yeah, the business for sure. Okay, yeah. For so sure. it, it wasn't an afterthought. Like no. you designed it having these yeah. ideas. Oh yeah, for sure. We that's wanted, cool. you know, we wanted a vintage barbershop because, like I said, myself and um, my the co-owner with me were huge in the history. And, you know, having a barbershop, that's that's huge history within the American culture. Yeah. And so we wanted to bring that back, you know, the hot towels, the hot shave, the straight razor, because, again, it's an art form that's being lost, even with the straight razor, you know. So we wanted to bring all that back. And then you see all our stuff on the walls, like everything that you see on the walls is something that we either had in our house or garage somewhere. Really? Yeah. My favorite sign is uh, don't steal because the government hates competition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dude, everyone, I love that sign. Yeah. <laughs> everybody loves that sign. They, they come up and they're like, man, I love your sign. Yeah. I'm like, I already know, in my head, I already know which one they're talking about. Oh, for sure. But I'm like, oh, which one? They're like, the don't steal. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's one of that's our favorites. Yeah. yeah. So that's always that. a good one. That's but yeah, cool. all the stickers on the register, everything. We Everything was planned out. We had... We had been collecting it for a while because we wanted it open a little sooner than we did. Yeah. But, you know, COVID hit and it kind of dampened a lot of people's plans and situations at the time. So how long did it take you to get set up? So you've been open mm -hmm. six months mm -hmm. um, and it's what, February. Uh, so you're what, August? August. Yeah. Okay. August 3rd is when we opened our doors and then we had our grand opening. I believe it was August 7th. So, okay. Yeah. How long did it take to, to plan all this stuff out? To get it, so we didn't have to do anything structurally to the building, which was great. Very low overhead. Nice. And a lot, like I said, a lot of stuff we already had that we had been collecting for a while. So we just furnished it. It took us about a month to, we really went through. That's not bad. No, not at all. Deep cleaned everything. Yeah. Started hanging, <coughs> excuse me, things on the window. And uh, with the old buildings like that, there's a lot of things that 
um, we couldn't do like put holes in the wall because mm. right behind the stucco is brick from 1902. <laughs> so you're not really putting yeah, any nails in that. We're not really trying to put any nails in it at all. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, but yeah, we we took a month to furnish, get everything working properly, and open the doors, which was awesome. That's cool. So, did what did you do any marketing ahead of time to like try and get the word out, or what what did you do? We did a lot of uh, Facebook marketing. Uh, we joined the Chamber of Commerce, which they helped us out a lot. They put the word out all the time. Yeah. Um, but it was really just Facebook, Instagram. That's pretty much it, you know. And That's I think cool. a lot of the events that Oklahoma, I mean Oklahoma, Guthrie does downtown, which are amazing events, you know. Um, we're always there. We're always in the forefront, trying to be in the forefront at least. Yeah. And showing the business off. For example, the um, Guthrie Territorial Christmas, we're yeah. doing free shades in the window. People love that. Dude, so. I was bummed I couldn't get down there, but <laughs> I kept seeing the post on Instagram mm-hmm. and I was like, that's so cool. Yeah. And part of the thing I think that lends to the charm is, you know, you're talking about all this vintage equipment, mm-hmm. those uh, chairs mm-hmm. that like, it, it's like a transformer. It, yeah. And it's so cool that they're so old, but they, you know, they lean you all the way back mm-hmm. and then you can just get up there and, you know, use a straight razor oh, and everything yeah. and. That was really cool. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's amazing. Like, a lot of these chairs, the oldest chair we have, we've dated it to, I want to say, like, 1929, 1928. Nice. Which is the one John cuts out of, which is pretty cool. It's just to know that that chair's been around for over 100 years is amazing, you know? Well, and the fact that they're fully functioning. Yes. Like, it's not just it's not just a chair. Yeah. Like, every time we're there getting a haircut or something, and then, you know, you put the headrest on, you lean the whole thing back, mm-hmm. and... It's not like squeaking and banging like it's yeah. a well-oiled. You know, it is, chair. yeah, it is. It's it's amazing. It surprises a lot of people that they're functioning as well they as well as they do, and it's it just surprised the hell out of me. Yeah, <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was the coolest thing. Yeah, people are always kind of sketched out the first time. They're like, okay, I'm lean back. And they, kinda, <laughs> yeah, they don't want to lean all break. the way back because it's gonna they're gonna fall down or something. Yeah, I'm like, nah, it's it's good. You know, we've put we you know uh, my business partner Daniel, he's put a lot of work into those things. He's okay. the one that he's the one that really found all of them and kind of restored all of them oh, together. Cool. So, yeah, I mean, and so where uh, is he at the shop full time? He's not. No, okay. He's a he's a welder full time. He works over at Autoquip. Okay, and then he comes in the afternoon and then works all day Saturday. So nice. You talk about a worker, man. Dude, no he kidding. does it. Yeah, seven days a week. Seven. Well, well, six. Six. But, yeah. yeah that's so wild. he usually has Sundays off and then goes back to work on Monday. Yeah. So. Well, and doing stuff like that, that's not a job like, mm-hmm. you know, for me, I, I work six or seven days a week, but I've got periods of a couple hours where mm-hmm. I can chill out or take a long lunch or hang out with my wife for a few minutes or do something around the house. Mm-hmm. But when you're like welding, yeah, like you're just working, you're working all, all day. day. Yeah. And Dude. then he goes, transitions, goes, changes his pants and shirts at the shop. Yeah. And then goes right to cutting hair. Dang. Yeah. That's cool. Have you guys known each other a long time? Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, as long as I know my wife. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, Wait, is there a connection there? Yeah. So my, uh, so my Daniel, my business partner, is also my brother-in-law. Oh so, yeah. shit! Yeah, that's no. awesome. Yeah. Man. So my I wife, had no my wife's idea. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. So it and just to go back a few steps, right? You're asking me. You know, I retired from the Navy, and that's it. Was actually him who got me involved with him barbering. Um, he was living out in California, and yeah. I had retired, and we were living out here, and. Uh, I thought I was going to just do the same thing when I got out of the military, firefighter, EMT, something of those sorts. And I actually was at OKCOSU as an EMT, going to the EMT school, doing all that. And um, I did a couple ride-alongs, 
and I just figured out it, that wasn't for me. Yeah. And it wasn't like the stuff like someone shooting themselves or coming to a shot victim or anything like that. It was a lot of like the child abuse is what what got me. We'd go to a Did few calls. Did you see calls. a lot of it? It was, I wouldn't say I saw, it was like every call, but it was quite a few calls that we went on. More than you would think. More than I thought, more than I wanted to see yeah. or even hear of, you know, yeah. and you know it happens, but when you're faced with it, it's in your face right there and then, it, it's really hard to deal with sometimes, especially when you have little ones yourself. Yeah, for sure. And my mine were, I think one or maybe two and three. So it was, it was really rough to see that happening and know that's, oh wow, it could be right down the street, you know? That's so screwed up, man. Mm -hmm. I think about all, I think about that stuff or rather when I hear about it, I mm -hmm. think about it and I just think like as a father, cause I've got an eight year old daughter mm -hmm. and I can't imagine a scenario in which you would like ever harm a child. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It blows my mind. Yeah. I, I agree. Cause you take, I feel like kids are so innocent, you know, mm -hmm. they're naive in a good way. Yeah. You know, and yes. when you do stuff like that to them, you take their childhood away from them. Yeah. And no one should ever take your childhood away from you because those are the those are the memories that are built so far deep that you it's what makes you cry, it makes what makes you laugh, it brings joy to your life. So Well, it frames your outlook on things for the rest of your life. For sure. Oh yeah. You know, like I feel terrible That's a great for great way, yeah, framing your life. Yeah. yeah, for sure, yeah. You know, like young young women that are, you know, sexually abused mm -hmm. as children by family members or whoever. Mm -hmm. I mean, they they grow up with that and and rightfully so struggle with it. And, oh, yeah. You know, they have a they have a very hard time and mm -hmm. I can't imagine how hard it is to get past that stuff. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. That's yeah, yeah, that's that's what got me, so. Yeah. I kind of put that off to the side. Um going to EMT. Well, I finished my EMT school. But I think a week before I finished EMT school, I was, I was talking to my wife while I was going through it about, you know, I don't know if this is for me, so on and so forth. And she's like, look at you've already sacrificed 20 years of your life, you know, to this country. Like, you need to do something that's going to make you happy and that you're going to be, you know, happy with doing every day. Yeah. And so um, I really thought about it for a few weeks. And then my brother-in-law called me up and he was like, look at man, I'm, you know, when I get out there, I want to go to barber school. I want to open up a barber shop one day, hopefully he goes, why don't we just do this together? So me, so you had no intention. Of I had no intention of becoming a barber whatsoever. Yeah. And I had never picked up any clippers or shears to cut hair or anything while I was in the military or any of that stuff. And so I kind of, you know, me being me, I kind of looked into the history. Like I said, I love history and I looked up, looked at the barber history and kind of, that's what I fell in love with was the barber history and how cool it was and how. What specifically? Like, an, uh, I, I was it just the, the, like the man's man kind of thing? Yeah. Like this is where you go to get your hair cut oh, yeah. and talk shop and. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's what it was. It's just the way they used to, even barbers, you know, early eight, late 1800s, early 1900s would just be almost a three piece suit, mm -hmm. shaving, cutting hair, so on and so forth. But also it attracted me because of the service that you bring towards your fellow man, you know, and being able to listen to them, you know, when they have something to talk about, you know, something they want to get off their shoulder, yeah. but then also giving someone a, a good haircut where it builds their confidence, you know, to go out for that interview or that, you know, anniversary or wedding day and so on and so forth. So Absolutely. yeah, it brings me joy just to like be able to give them that confidence or put that smile on their face. Yeah. And the, the not to cut you off, but the best thing is 
when I cut a kid's hair and I finally give them a mirror and they get this big old smile on their face and just yeah. like, oh, wow, that's awesome. That's yeah. Like, that brings me the most joy there. Almost like I didn't even know I could look like yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. They look old. They look a little older. Yeah. You, know, you style their hair a little bit and they just, they love it. So. That's cool. Yeah. That That's <laughs> another aspect that brought me to it. Well, to that point, I got to say, like from the customer's perspective, mm-hmm. it's really nice being able to go in somewhere and I sit down for like I used to go to Supercuts or, you know, whatever. Uh, I can't even say barbershop, whatever hair salon uh-huh. was around, you know, and uh, I remember. Here in Guthrie. Yeah. 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 And uh, like I'd go to Supercuts and, you know, sometimes or. Ha- there's nothing wrong with a lady cutting your hair, but yeah. you know, you can't, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't, shouldn't say you can't, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're not inclined to like get into deep conversation yeah. or, or have like some of the talks that we have when you're cutting mm-hmm. my hair, that's never a conversation that I would think about bringing up at Supercuts. Yeah. Like it's just, it never happens, but you kind of get started, uh, you mm-hmm. know, talking, catching up on how things have been over the yeah. last week, couple weeks, and then you just get carried away and, you know, you walk out of there, like to your point, you, uh-huh. you know, you look good, feel good. And you're like, man, I, that was a great conversation with Paul. Yeah. And, you know, motivated to conquer the world, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. And that's how it should be. That's that's why I feel like we wanted, we purposely do that. You know, yeah, like we, everything that's in that barbershop, everything we do is for an intent. You know, it's, you know, saying hello to everyone that comes in, like, hey, how's it going? We don't, we just don't, hey, uh, sign your name and we'll be right with you. You know, yeah, we make it a purpose to greet you. You know, yeah, and everybody that we know, you know, I'm not the greatest with names, but I it. I make it a point to try to remember everybody's name, the regulars, a lot of people who come in all the time because I think it's, I found it, I heard a podcast somewhere where there's power within calling someone by their first name. For sure. You know? Oh yeah. You come through the door and I'm like, Hey Craig, how's it going? You know, how's your day going? You're like, Oh, that's great. Would you like a beer? You know, please sit down. I'll be right with you. You know, dude, I'll tell you, it feels like, um, you know, for say like a celebrity or someone mm-hmm. who everyone knows your name mm-hmm. and you walk into a place and they just know you, Yeah. you know, when you can walk in to the barbershop mm-hmm. and you can get that, you know, Hey, what's, what's going on, Craig? And yeah. it almost feels like th- this is, these are my people, yeah. you know, this is where I'm supposed to be. They know me, they like me, mm-hmm. I trust them. And you've got this instant rapport just because you're saying hi and yeah. calling someone by Call their name, by their first name. Yeah. I said, hey, bro, hey, dude, you know, yeah. everyone is can be dude or everyone can be bro. Yeah. You know, but when you have that that connection with their first name, I feel it brings a lot more out of people. Absolutely. So, and it's just, you know, I, to, to go back, you know, you say that like uh, you couldn't have those deep conversations when you're at Supercuts, you know? Yeah. And it, you're like almost surprised, like, yeah, like this is like that's the way it used to be, you know? Yeah. You used to go to your barber and have these deep conversations or just talk about what was on your mind. Your barber's there to listen, you know, yeah. maybe give you a little advice here and there. Yeah. So it was, it was almost, like, it was like going to, you know, sit on your shrink's couch, yeah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's it. You know, you just, sometimes you just need to unload a few problems or think it out or say it out loud. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. So, and it's weird how sometimes, uh, and I think to your credit, mm-hmm. it's something you guys do in creating the atmosphere and, and everything. You make that person that's in the chair feel comfortable unloading that stuff. Yeah. You know, and, sure. and one of the things that I admire about you is wherever the conversation seems to go, mm-hmm. 
that you stick with it and you've got, you know, something to say or a story to tell yeah. or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And it's cool. Like it, it makes mm-hmm. for great conversation. Oh yeah. I, I love it. I try to, I guess, listen to a lot of podcasts cause I'm, I'm interested in people's human nature in a way, mm-hmm. you know, where you were at, where you started from and where you're at and everything. And I want to know everything in between because that is who made you, for example, yourself, the man you are today, you know, and you acknowledge like who you are today, but you know you still have faults, but you're still always trying to prove on those faults and even make the strengths even stronger. So yeah, I'm just inquisitive in learning how people got to where they're at. Yeah. So everyone has a story, you know? Yeah. And I, I love hearing that story. And that's why maybe sometimes it annoys people where I'm asking a lot of questions, but no. I'm genuinely interested in why people are or who they are because of those experiences that they had in life. I doubt if it's annoying anyone. <laughs> and, and actually I think it's the opposite mm-hmm. and you might have to like kind of pick at them for a little bit to you get do. them to open up. Yeah. But I feel like it, it's really just that not a lot of people do that. No, yeah. Not a lot of people take an interest in you as a person mm-hmm. when you go into their establishment. Oh yeah. And so it's all, it almost catches you off guard and you for don't sure. know like, where's the line? Like what's okay to casually mm-hmm. talk about or what's too deep or what's too, you know, whatever. Yeah. I try to leave that up to my, you know, my client who's there, you know, mm-hmm. who's in my chair. I'll ask questions and try to probe to see what might be okay to talk about. Cause I want you to feel free to talk about anything you want. I don't yeah. want you to sit there and be like, well, I shouldn't talk about this or that, you know? Yeah. Whether they feel they're going to be judged or not, I'm not there to judge anyone. I'm just there to listen to them, you know, yeah. and maybe interject my opinion, you know? Sure. Whether my opinion is right or wrong, you know, it's just my own opinion. So, and I think right or wrong is, mm-hmm. is almost irrelevant. I think the awesome part is just being able to give it yeah, and have it be accepted for yeah. what it is. And, you know, and that's it. I, uh, and I think it, that I think in my mind kind of goes to the, like the political landscape of yeah. today. And, you know, you're afraid to say something that you might actually really believe or, mm-hmm. or believe strongly in. Mm-hmm. And you're afraid to like give that opinion yeah. for how the other person's going to take it. Oh, yeah. And I think that, that this whole thing, uh, I, talking about conversation can't mm-hmm. be understated, mm-hmm. you know, like it's really important to be able to say what you want to say or say how you feel oh, and, I agree. and have these conversations. And for sure. I love that. You know, it's almost, as I'm thinking about it, it's like the haircut's almost an afterthought. It's like I go <laughs> yeah. there for the conversation. Right. You know? And that, and that's, that's awesome because those are experiences that you're building. Again, you're building those experiences. They're like, okay, yeah. I didn't know that. Or yeah, maybe I should look at this, this different way. Or maybe you just needed to talk to someone to get something off your chest, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's those things like where, you know, as a society, it's like, you're afraid, like you said, you're afraid to talk about political things or religion or this or that, or just your opinion. Cause you're afraid you're going to be crucified off of one thing, you know, sure. like you think one thing. So people automatically, we're in a, a place in society where if you think one thing, you automatically think everything else that goes with that, you know, yeah. or related to that in that way. And that's not it. Like, you know, we can have a conversation, whether we agree or not, we might take something from that, you know, or at least open our eyes or think a different way. And that's, I think we've lost, we've lost the art form of conversation Yeah, to still, you know, disagree, but still be cordial about things and not just get mad. Exactly. Not get mad, storm off. Like you and I, you know, we probably have a lot of things in common, but we probably still have a lot of things that we disagree on, but we could still sit here and talk about those things or hopefully we could, you know, disagree, but I'm still gonna be like, that's awesome, Craig. I, 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 but I don't agree with you. 
Let's yeah. have this beer and go watch a football game, you know? Yeah. Like still be yeah. able to do that. And I think a lot of people have lost that, the art of communicating. So, And I think it is an art. It is. Uh, yeah, sure. Being able to just carry the conversation mm-hmm. and and also being willing to, uh, to give those opinions and everything. Mm-hmm. But I also think um, the the ability for us to speak, mm-hmm. I feel like today is degraded somehow. And I think it is because of all the, um, the, what do you call it? Like a colloquialism or, or the slang or you, whatever. Like, I feel like vocabulary, the English language is being butchered <laughs> by a lot right now. It is. It is. I, I think it is, but it's also, uh, I, I don't know if it's just to me, but I take how people, use certain words like i try to dissect that word you know yeah i don't know if people are doing that now but it's just something i do if you say something like i'm doing i'm doing well which is like i believe that refers to like your health you know okay i'm doing well that's your health i'm doing good or you know just certain words i try to look at and try what is the meaning that's really coming across you know yeah so but yeah a lot of the word is being butchered in a way where you're like what what did you say well, yeah, and it, and it almost like hinders your ability to have these, like, if you think of communication mm-hmm. as or conversation as an art, mm-hmm. uh, your ability or inability to sit and have these conversations and articulate what it is that's in your head mm-hmm. in a way that the other person can receive it and process that data right. and, and then respond. Yeah, um, that's all like all but halted mm-hmm. when it's all dude, bro, check yeah. it out kind of stuff. Oh yeah. You for know? Sure. And, and so then I feel like, uh, your conversations become more like sound bites mm-hmm. and, and not a deeper conversation that you can get into and actually, you know, get some substance from. Correct. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Yeah. So it's got sidetracked on conversation. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so what are your plans going forward with the barbershop? Um, we definitely want to add more barbers to the barbershop. I saw your post. Yeah. So you're you're recruiting. Yes. Okay. Trying to. Nice. Yeah. So how, we, how many barbers are you trying to add? Right now, just one. Okay. A full time barber. That's okay. What we're trying to get. I feel like the if we can add another barber, we can take a lot more walk ins as well. Yeah. Which will be great. I think we could, um, you know, give back to the community a lot more as well. So, sure. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, it's it's awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, expand. We're trying to do different things annually, like what we did for the uh, territorial Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, do that annually. Um, we also, you know, during the territorial Christmas, we had a Santa Claus. We took pictures, right? And um, it was all donation. It was like a ten dollar donation, and all that money went to the Angel Tree over at the Sheriff's Department, which everything stayed locally. Nice. And that was a big thing for us. Is you know trying to become a lot more part of the community and trying to build a culture within the community. Like this is, this is the barbershop. This is where we want to be, be a staple within the community. Cause we want, the community has already given so much to us. We want to give back to the community as well. Well, I feel so. like you guys are, you're doing it. I mean, I hopefully you, you know. you've already become a staple. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I talked to people and you know, I had one guy after my last haircut, mm-hmm. he had asked me, I was just, I was showing a house in Guthrie and he was like, Hey, do you know a barber around here? As a matter of fact, <laughs> I, I do. do. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's awesome. But yeah, you guys are becoming a staple and, mm-hmm. and I think it's great what you do for the community and, and I, I hope, uh, do you have any candidates that you're not, not at the moment. It's no? so hard to yeah. find someone. I, I don't know if people don't want to work or it's just, 
not enough barbers out there, but yeah, I mean, are you, uh, are you looking for someone that's a barber like in Guthrie or were you open to bringing someone um, in from the city or something? Or? I think the city might, if they lived in the city, might be too much for them to drive all the way to out, to drive here. all the way out there. Yeah. You know, I think the market in Guthrie is underrated. Yeah. Um, surrounding cities would be great. Someone who lived locally would be amazing. You want to, do you have a preference? Like, do you want to keep this person as a male or are you open to like a female coming in or I'm what's the to, vibe? I'm open to a female, you yeah. know, I, for me, it's the personality more than anything else. Yeah. I feel like we have something really special going on Yeah. and we want to keep it like that. Yeah. They have to jive with myself, Daniel and John, the other barber who works there. Yeah. And just... We, I don't want to say it's like the three amigos, but we kind of are, you know, we kind yeah. of look at each other and, okay, it's time to go to work or we need this or we need that. So it's a strong, I guess, brotherhood in a way right now in the shop. And I just want someone that's going to be able to, to jive with that as well. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, and a few barbers, maybe in the future, at, prop up another shop somewhere, you know, and if that shop does come up, it would, I would want it, we would want it to be somewhere like Guthrie, right outside the city, 30 minutes out, where they deserve to have a great barbershop, you know, with great conversation, you know, be able to hang out and drink a beer whenever they want to. Dude, maybe one day in the future, you'll be franchising these babies or something. (sighs) Yeah, I know. Hopefully. And I hate to use the word franchise. I know. It it sounds sounds bad. Yeah. It sounds like so super cuts, you know? Yeah. But but yeah, I mean. You could do it right though. Yeah. I think we could and make each one unique in its own way. Yes. So. Yeah. Not just a cookie cutter for sure. print. So we'll see what happens. Well, dude, I uh, I think we ran a little long, but it was really great to just chat with you. And you know, Same here, man. thank you for amazing. coming on. I really thank appreciate you. it. It's been great. Yeah. And good luck finding someone. I appreciate if, it. <laughs> if I if I hear of anyone that that is a barber or yeah. you know might be interested, I'll definitely holler. For sure. Cool. All right, man. Hey, man. Well, thanks, thanks again. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. <laughs>